Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton, and today you are going to hear a conversation with a dear friend of mine, Jeremiah Campbell. I needed him on this show, not only for his unique perspective, and he's such a straight shooter, but his story of overcoming inspires me every single time I hear it. And I'm going to let him tell you the story. But what I want you to know about Jeremiah now is that he turns every challenge into an opportunity for his growth. And like the rest of us, he has plenty of challenges in his life. He is a successful business owner of multiple businesses. But in addition to being a very successful business owner, being a husband, being a father to two young children, he also gives a lot of his time to serving and mentoring others. And I love that about him. And with new levels of success always come new challenges. And he is relentless in his ability to turn every single one of those challenges into an opportunity for his growth, for his family's growth, for the strengthening of his marriage. And I just love everything he has to say in this in this episode. I'll give you a little a little spoiler. Um, he works with a lot of people who are in recovery. And he'll share about his experience with um, addiction. He works with a lot of people in recovery. And obviously, in all areas of life, there are people who, who thrive and there are people who really struggle. And I said, is there something that you see that is a similar trait or a commonality in the people who are successful in their recovery or who are consistent in their recovery and without missing a beat, he said, honesty honesty. And that's not just honesty with the people around you. It's most importantly, honesty with yourself, which no matter who you are, what you're struggling with or what you're working on in your life, we all have this opportunity to be more honest with ourselves. So I can't wait wait for you to hear that part of the conversation. He also has a mantra that we're going to talk a lot about. Most won't, I will. And he uses that in so many aspects of his life and in the way he raises his children. I could go on and on and on. You are going to be blessed by this conversation. Jeremiah also has a podcast that he does with his tremendously talented and beautiful wife, Mallory. It is called Destined to Be. I will link it up in the show notes for today's episode as well as ways that you can connect with Jeremiah follow him on Instagram, but I want to get right into this conversation with Jeremiah Campbell. Jeremiah, welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast. How are you doing? 
Fantastic. Thank you for having me. I am beyond excited. I have been looking forward to talking to you all day long, very selfishly, for a few reasons. One, your story inspires the hell out of me. And number two, I know that I am going to learn so much from you today. This is just such a selfish episode, but I know everybody else is going to really love it too. No, that just makes me smile. You're literally making me blush. I'm like, what are you going to learn from me? (laughs) (laughs) Where I want to start with you is I know a little bit of your story, certainly not all of it, but I know most of my listeners might not know that much of it, though if they aren't listening to your podcast, Destined to Be, they will start today because it's absolutely worth the listen. Tell me a little bit about, you know, the last... The last 10 years, last 15 years for you, what has that looked like? Because I feel like the world needs more stories of people who were down and out and unlikely to win who are winning anyway. And to me, you are, you are that story and so much more. Thank you. So I'm 33 years old. I, I, I born and raised in Southeast Michigan, just north of Detroit. Um, I married, have two kids. That's me now. So I grew up in a very normal household, very normal, um, you know, dysfunction, uh, alcoholism, drug, drug abuse. I mean, the whole gamut um, in and outside of my life, but it was normal to me. So uh, I came into what I believe is adulthood, not knowing exactly how to be or how to actually function. Um, And at a young age, I always felt different. I always felt like there was something missing. I felt like there was something else out there. Um, And I always thought it would be cooler to be somebody else. Um, And at a young age, I found drugs and alcohol. And I started using drugs and alcohol, not because I hated myself, but the way that the the effect that the drugs and alcohol had on me, they made me feel like I was complete in a way to make me feel um, that I was above other people in a way, not, not to be above them, but I was so used to feeling below the people around me that I was actually um, able to gain acceptance from them. And that's really what the drugs and alcohol did for me. And, uh, early on at, at a young age, uh, I mean, I'm talking when I started using drugs, it was probably freshman year of high school and it was nothing hardcore. It was a few pills here and there, marijuana, things like that. And, and it was just very recreational. Uh, and then somewhere along the lines, I ended up getting addicted mm-hmm. and, and it, it turned progressive, uh, very fast. It turned to when I was 18 years old, I was, you know, mainlining heroin. Um, I got a full blown heroin addiction. Uh, it, the opiate epidemic hit my area and in most of the side of the country around the same time. And um, I got caught in that wave. Uh, And that's where my life, I I never expected to be a person, a a drug addict or now a person in recovery. And my life, like I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to be that. Like people on the other side of the addiction are like, oh, oh, I feel so far, so bad for you. And I'm like, oh my God, don't ever feel sorry for me because it made me who I am today. Yeah. So, those trials, what I went through and, and how I became addicted and went to inpatient rehab five times and trying to overcome and trying to be stronger than the disease of addiction, um, it, it, was a, it was a crazy way of, of living life. But all of the, the, the grit and the, 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 the 
perseverance and that I use today in business and in marriage and being a father all came from those experiences. Wow. That is amazing. When you say becoming stronger than the disease of addiction, what does that look like to you? Like not just living in that strength as you do now, but developing that strength because I, I have not had experience with hard drugs, but I did feel that food had more control over my life than I had Mm. control over my life for such a long time. And I lived in this certainty that it won and I lost. And it took me a really long time to develop the faith and the belief that, and the certainty that I could be stronger. But I would love to hear your perspective on what does that look like to you to become stronger than something that at the time had to be very strong in your life? That is an amazing question. And the coolest part about this is I, I'll never be stronger than it. So what it looks like for me, and this is on hindsight, this is not one bit. I, all I wanted to do was become the person I was before I got strung out on drugs and alcohol. That's all I wanted. Mm. And through the process of the 12 steps, coming to find a creator, all this good stuff, I learned that it was first accepting and saying that I am. And then on the other side of that is what I'm proclaiming into my life. So I had to take the stigma away from. So I try not to call myself a drug addict anymore or an alcoholic. I say I'm a person of recovery because mm-hmm. that's what I'm projecting into my life. And that's a huge shift from how I used to be. And, and it's being accepting it, saying I can no longer control my life that with that way and then surrendering to it. I, I don't want to ever overcome it. I don't want to be powerful. And, and it's literally the same exact thing with food because I deal with food now. And like mm-hmm. before I got on this call, I went into my cupboard because we have a five-year-old and a two-year-old mm-hmm. and I'm like, what kind of cool snacks can I eat to get a <laughs> sugar rush? Because I want that reward. Yeah. And it's an obsession of the mind that overpowers the body. I don't care what I tell myself. I can't turn away from there. Once I make that commitment that I'm going to have a sweet treat, the endorphin, everything's rushed in my brain and I'm automatically going to that. And it's the same way with the drugs before. It was like, I, I can never be stronger than it, but I can surrender to it, accept it, surrender to it, and then see how it can serve me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't fight, like, like some people, and I remember listening to a, a, an interview, I think it was Oprah or Ellen, and somebody in recovery was on there. And she's like, well, it's got to be so hard and so struggling. If it was hard for me to stay sober today, I wouldn't be sober, like period, because I'm not going to fight for the rest of my life. That's, that's absolutely ludicrous. But you come to a place of acceptance that, I, I've abused the privilege to drink drugs, or I'm sorry, to drink alcohol and to do drugs. Some people can socially do it. I abuse that privilege. I suffer from the ism that takes place in my mind that once the, these chemicals hit my body, I can't stop. It's kind of like opening the ice cream container and taking one scoop. Mm-hmm. Like that's like severe moderation. So I, I know what I have to stay away from and I know what's good for me. But the good, the other side of it is when I get into a, a book that I can't, I can't put the book down. Mm-hmm. Or when I get into a program, I can't stop doing it. Or when I get into somebody's podcast, I go running for the hills and I'm full 100% attention. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like for you to surrender to it? Because I'm, I, I know you well enough to know that you are, you are, by choice, quite disciplined. And so while you could eat all the kids' snacks and all of that, 
I know you don't on a, on much of a regular basis. So what does that look like to you? To me, that looks like observing it, paying attention to it, and then internalizing it. And I just play the tape all the way through. And I think to myself, what, what is it going to look like a year, six weeks uh, d- down the road to where if I continue to do this habit? So um, for me, it's, it's, it's turning away from it at that certain point in that one thing and just saying, I'm not going to do that. So I have to say certain things like most won't, I will, most won't, I will. And it's those mantras that I put inside my head that I'm looking for that, that are going to push me when I want to hit the snooze button are going to push me. And it's that vision of the future. It's the person that I want to become. It's those emotions. People say to me all the time, they're like, well, how do you, how do you change your, your state of being? And I'm like, well, the state of being is the most powerful state. The most powerful thing you can do is be in the present moment and have control over your internals of your body being present. So I look at it and I say, okay, most won't I will. So what am I going to do to project that vision of where I want to go? And then I got to be crystal clear and defined by that. So, so for me to just look at it and say, I'm going to surrender to this right here, like to, to, to not, and, and for me, a lot of it's emotions too. Like I have to surrender these certain emotions where I'm like, I don't want to feel this way. We're both remodeling houses right now in massive projects, right? And I just left um, my, my ha- and, and, and three of the people that were supposed to do stuff weren't doing things. So I go through the cycle. It's about a 90 second emotional bandwidth that hits me. And then I have to do nothing or say nothing for that 90 seconds. And that's part of my surrender process to those things. I, I just, I, I know if I emotionally react how I want to, my, my rationality in my brain will not be there. It'll go somewhere else and it ruins friendships. It ruins relationships. I can't tell you how many contractors I've gone through. And it ruins these things because I don't show up as the person I want to be. Oh, Jeremiah, you and I are living parallel lives right now. Just yesterday, something happened with the, the renovation and I instantly redlined. And, and fortunately, they weren't in front of me. Uh, it was me and my partner. We were by ourselves. And I redlined. I got so, so mad. And he said, okay, but you can't go in there like that. And in that moment, same kind of thing. Like, how do I want to show up? What is the difference between how I feel right now and the way I want to go through life? And so when you say that about surrender... I would imagine that there are some people listening who think that that means you just give over to it. You give over to the anger. You give over to the impulse. You give over to the craving. But you're not saying that at all. You're just saying, it's there. I acknowledge it. And I choose a different path right now. Is that, is that accurate? 100%. I can't be the doormat to those things. So I still have to have a backbone, but I don't need to attach any meaning to that negative energy in my life and attaching that because I'm going to, the minute I say, and I did it too, and I, and I, and I did it and I'm like, I don't know. And then I, I literally said to a, a grown man today, twice my, probably twice my age, I literally said to him, I said, now I understand why I'm building this home and you're not. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, what a, what a person to say that. So we're all children of this infinite power in this source. And I'm like, why did I, my ego, and that's, oh, damn, there it is. It's my ego attaching yep. to what I think I deserve or way it sh- 
I think it should be. And I'm like, all of these are ego. So I have to identify it, see it, and then say, I'm not going to choose that path. I'm not going to choose to, to, to take myself to that lower vibration because my ego says, do it, Jeremiah, do it, do it. Tell him how you really feel. Tell him how great you really are. Tell him, show him, you show him. And then he walks out, takes my money, delays my project. <laughs> Who won? Exactly. Well, I have to remind myself probably a hundred times a day that there is a massive difference between being right and getting it right. Mm. And my first stop is I'm right. I'll prove it. You're wrong. I'll show you. But the path of being right is only serving the ego, rarely serving the solution, never serving who I want to be in my happiness. So we are like so on the same page there. Oh my gosh. So, so my spiritual advisor, he's been, he's been a part of my life. He's actually my sponsor in 12 steps. And he told me a long time ago, he goes, Jeremiah, he goes, you be right. I'll be happy. Hmm. Yeah. It, there's, they're not the same thing. Nope. They're not the same thing. And we'll talk about marriage in a few minutes because I just love the relationship that you have with your wife, Mallory. But I use that in my relationship a dozen times a day. I can be right here. I can get it right here. And it does not look the same and it does not feel the same. And what I want is to get it right, not to be right. I want to go back to most won't, I will. And that was something I told you before we started recording that, uh, I've been keeping up with every episode of your podcast, Destined to Be, that you do with Mallory. I love it so much. And one of the things you said on a recent episode was your mantra, one of many, is most won't, I will. Can you tell me maybe an example or two of, of how that comes up in your life, how you use that? Yes. So another one of my mantras that I really like to do is the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it's, it's intent, intentful living. So when I get to something like, and, and I say it to myself on a moment to moment basis, like again, that emotional reaction and that charge in your body the other day, um, Mallory and I, she was doing something in the kitchen and she like forgot to put a garbage bag or something back in. And I was so fixated on her not putting that garbage bag open. I left like the milk out and the cupboard open. <laughs> and like, and I literally, and then I noticed it, identify with it. She's, she's literally shaking her head no at me right now. <laughs> and, and I was so fixated on that damn garbage bag that I was, I, I left it open and like, and I said to myself, close that. But I, so it starts off with things like that. So then, um, when, when, when I'm in the, the, the shopping carts is a big one. I got a couple of buddies that are huge into this too. And it's putting the shopping cart back. So that's going the extra mile. So we have core values at my business. We have core values in our household. Like being able to do those things that nobody else is willing to do. When's the last time you saw somebody put a shopping cart back? Even though it's three little three parking spots away. So I'll say to myself, what does this look like? Who's watching me? And I know my children are watching me. You know, habits are taught not... Habits are caught, not taught. So I see them doing those things and I say, most won't I will. And I'm like, what does that look like? That looks like I don't pee on toilet seats. I always wait to pee off a toilet seat. When I throw something in the garbage, I don't care where I am or how insignificant it is, I'll go back and pick it back up and make sure it gets in the garbage can if it doesn't make it in there. Mm-hmm. Like if I walk past a piece of garbage anywhere, like I have to pick it up. And like that is proving to myself that most won't, I will. I'll continue to do those things because I want to continue to have the results that other people don't have. So I have to continue to do those things that they, won't, that they aren't willing to do. 
And you really did that when you started your business because I heard you tell the story about how when you got out of rehab, nobody would hire you. And instead of feeling sorry for yourself and the systems rigged against people who, you know, have these challenges, you decided to start your own business. And I'd love to know the mindset that you brought to that because what I really try to help people with is not seeing barriers, but rather finding a way. And you did that in grand fashion when as a a young guy, and not having a lot of money or resources and having a, a background of drug addiction, you started a business and you made a name for yourself and you've changed your community. That mindset of there is a big barrier, but I will find a way. Can you share a little bit about that? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so this was back, I got sober in 07. So I was doing it a little bit. So I, I, I after my third rehab center, I stayed sober for about eight months, had a relapse, went back to treatment twice. So it was the first time I was sober when I started the business. And um, it, it was literally, I went around putting applications and I painted cars all through high school. I turned my dad's garage into a spray booth. I've always, I'm a craftsman by trade. Like it, it's my, it's part of my ADHD. It's how I channeled all of this. They, they, they put that label on me when I was a kid. I was doing somersaults in like third grade and they're like Ritalin, Adderall, anything they could throw at me to try to harness my energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, unfortunately they couldn't. So I was always good doing things with my hands. Like, so when people are like, oh, you're a successful business owner. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just like a guy that knows how to do some cool stuff and figure out a way to like, you know, be the middleman. And, um, and I never give myself that credit because I've always built my life doing things because I know how to do them. And, and, and so to break out of that model, like I never had any entrepreneurs in my life. Like I remember in college, my first, like I went to community college and, um, and I, it was two years my business took off and I stopped going. Anyways, I had to do, I, I had to search for one entrepreneur and my buddy's parents owned Tubby's like two Tubby's franchises. And I had to go interview an entrepreneur. So like I never had, I never knew what it looked like to own a business. So when I went into it, I, I didn't go into it to try to be successful. Mm. Like I, I literally went into it with no intent of ever. I remember four years into it, Mallory, we were dating at the time and she was like, how long are you going to do this for? And I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, what if you like did it just forever? And I'm like, I don't know. And, mm. and there was no, and there was no, I didn't give myself an out to fail, but I didn't give myself a bar to live up to. Mm. And so I just kind of navigated through it and I just continued to provide more value than I was paid for. Oh, that's good. And like, I just continued to just put into the customers. And then what I, what I realized um, actually was like within the last couple of years and I was doing it subconsciously was going into that mindset because nobody gave me a chance or an opportunity. So the recovery homes that me and my buddy have um, th- that we, we bring people into sobriety and we give them a safe place to live and give them accountability. And so I've been able through the years, my top leadership team is all from sobriety. Wow. So it was people, other people just like me that didn't have a chance or an opportunity that nobody else was willing to give them because of their challenges. Now they're buying their dream cars. Now they're buying houses. Now they're getting married. Now they're having babies. And, and, and it wasn't me. It was, it was the Holy, whatever, the, the energy, God, Jesus, whatever you want to call it, working through me to try to deliver. And, and he had this plan set up in this way that 
he knew exactly what, what needed to be done when it needed to be done. And then it just gives me ultimate relief that I don't, I'm not part of that picture. So I, I don't hold just like when I sponsor somebody and I take somebody through the steps. I don't take any credit for when they succeed. So if I don't take credit for when they succeed, I don't have to take the downside when they don't succeed. Right, right. So it's kind of an even keel. What do you see if you could identify a trait in the people you know that are successful in their sobriety, that are consistent in their sobriety, that are committed to it, what is that trait? Honesty. Oh, dude, that is huge. Tell me a little bit about that. So when I got to the tables of 12 steps, um, it was the last place on the block. I told everybody how I wasn't going to hang out, how I wasn't going to stay there. And I learned early. I remember it was actually one of the guys, the reason I married to Mallory. Um, I moved in with him. His, his son was my age and his, his dad was in sobriety. And um, he told me, he's like, and I, at the time I was, I think I was 19. And he goes, Jeremiah, he goes, you're really humble. And on my children, no joke, when they said the word humble, I thought it meant like it was shortened for hilarious. I'm, I swear <laughs> to God. I had no, I'm like, what do you mean humble? I'm like, am I funny? And they're like, and they, I'm, I'm, mind you, I had a very good education. Like my school district, like top in the, in the state of Michigan. It was, it, and I had no idea. And, and then I started looking at it and I started paying attention. So one of our good friends always talks about, um, I stay so busy so I don't have to be aware. And, and that was my whole entire life. Mm. so it was when I was sharing with people at 12 steps at the tables and, and they were looking at me and they would say, mm, mm, and they would shake their head. Yes. It gave me a sense of community. And, and the more I was honest with them and told them how I was really feeling. So the way that the 12 steps are written, it doesn't matter. As long as you're honest, nothing else matters. Like literally, if you can be honest with yourself, you'll never get in the pitfalls. Mm. So, so being honest is like, it goes back to most won't I will, like picking up the garbage, like going there when you're with your employer, like providing more value than you're paid for. Yeah. And then you'll get paid more than what the value you provide eventually. Like that's literally universal law. Right. So that was, that was really my thing with the honesty and it's just being, then, then it turns and it's, you got to be honest with yourself. And that's the most important, like one of the most important parts of life. I, I don't know what I was expecting you to say, but I'm so glad that you said honesty, because one of the things I talk a lot about in terms of my own struggles with money, my struggles with weight, I, for most of my life, was not honest with myself and I wasn't honest with other people. I wasn't honest about my feelings. I wasn't honest about my choices. I wasn't honest about the consequences of my choices. I was just checked out and I was snowing myself and I was snowing other people and whew, that's good. Let me, let me switch gears here you've got two little boys. Mm -hmm. How important is honesty in, in what you're modeling for them and what you're teaching them? Like as a parent, because you see that as such a critical aspect of success in, in many of the adult relationships in your life, is that, you know, top of the list with your kiddos? Yeah. So like my journey on becoming a dad, like my kids teach me 10 times more than I, I literally will ever teach them. So like I said, habits are caught, not taught. Right. So I watch my son, the five-year-old writer, he, the way he acts and the way he deals with his emotions, I like, 
it scares the daylights out of me because I, I watched my kids. So like I'm huge and, and one of my huge successes in my marriage is, is my wife puts up with me and she's got a very unique set of skills and abilities to, to tolerate me. <laughs> and uh, I watch my son and, and I like to emotionally react ego and then I like to blame other people or my, my mind subconsciously automatically figures out how it's somebody else's fault mm-hmm. like immediately so it's being honest with myself to be able to show him that like like I'm not kidding you still to this day like if something happens at this table I'm on like if I knocked my coffee cup over my mind automatically will try to figure a way out how that wasn't my fault like if somebody would have put something away like three days, my wife's laughing again, uh, three days ago on how this, this, that somebody would the table being angled the wrong way or like the beautiful thing that she puts in the middle of the table, this cloth thing, like if it wasn't set there. So, so I'm trying to rewrite the way so I can change history because I was taught this from my mom. Mm. and it was subconscious to her she didn't know because somebody taught her and I'm like wow like just to be aware of that and and realize the honesty of of just being in looking at myself and I'm like wow the world doesn't revolve around me Mm -hmm. and it's okay to screw up and it's okay to make a mistake and it's okay to to do something wrong but you got to be honest yeah so is that is that a big part of your philosophy with your kids that just we we take responsibility. Yeah, you have to take responsibility. You have to take extreme ownership of everything that you do, and everything that you do has a consequence, no whether you can see it now or not. So, like, I'm huge. You know, we just had a, a tra- very tragic death of one of my cousins. She was nine years old, and and it was super sudden. It was a couple of days after Christmas, and and my son's trying to understand it. So, my mom and I are and Mallory are teaching him different ways on how to look at it, but. We just try to, no matter what happens, no matter how good or bad things are, I want to look and see how that can serve me. Mm. Like, cause if I can make something serve me and it's the worst, like, like there's, there's 20 people behind this casket and I'm talking to my cousin's wife and she just lost her daughter. Right. And her and I, she's looking at me and she's hugging me and thanking me. And there's like 20 to 25 people behind in the line. Everybody's crying. It's super emotional. Me and the mom are laughing in front of her daughter's laid out body. And I'm explaining to her how it's going to serve. And we're just being joyous and happy and bringing positive emotion and energy. And I want my children to be able to look at any situation and be able to change their perspective. Because if they can change their perspective on what reality is, because we make that up anyways, mm-hmm. like the, the trick to life is to be not happy all the time, but to be satisfied and be content and be present. And I'm like, if we can just change the way we look at things by, by looking at it from a different set of lenses, like that to me is the ultimate wisdom that you can leave in your kids. Now, I, I agree about contentment and satisfaction and I'm a, I believe hugely in the power of perspective, but I also know you to be a very big dreamer. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so how does that, how do you, some people would say those things are at odds. I don't think they are, but for you, how do you simultaneously have a huge vision and big goals for your life and also be genuinely content with what you have right now? So Ed Milet talks about it really well. He calls it blissfully dissatisfied. And, and it's a theory behind I'm, I'm okay. So like what I've learned in recovery was don't put a meaning on an event. So 
what, what that means to me is if something happens, like if I see a really fast car, like and you and I are sitting across from each other and we look out your window and there's a car that flies by and I'm like, oh yeah, that's awesome. I love it. That car is going a thousand, like whatever. It's the coolest car ever. And I get happiness and feelings of joy and I tell my body to feel those feelings of, of joy and happiness and gratitude because that event happened. And you see it and you know somebody that died in a tragic car accident. So you think, what a jerk, slow down. Mm-hmm. Same event, two opposite meanings. Mm-hmm. So I can train my body and my brain to look at things a little bit differently. So being content, it's kind of like when, pe- when, when I do guided meditations and I think in my head. So it's the difference between a thought and conscious awareness mm-hmm. of what it is. And that, that takes a lot of practice and a lot of becoming aware. But I can easily be at okay with myself right now. And if nothing got better, I'm good. Mm-hmm. If I lost all the houses, the cars, the, the money, all of that goes away tomorrow. Mallory and I look at each other and I, would we be okay? And then I, and the answer is yes, because I don't have problems. We do our best, our utmost best to not have problems. We have challenges. We try not to make them problems by blowing them out of disproportion. We have struggles. We deal with that. But like we look at each other and say, how can we pour into each other? And that's the same way with our goals. Like if this goal doesn't happen, perfectly fine. Something better is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. something bigger and in, in, in something that I couldn't even fathom for myself. But as long as I stay in alignment with that, mm-hmm. um, and it's just getting back to that because again, those emotional reactions, those knee jerks, that negativity, um, just man, it, a year ago, that stuff was hitting me so hard. It, it was, it was crippling me to get out of bed. And that's when I started using the most won't I will. And I started using that in the bed, waking up, wanting to hit snooze, wanting not to be present and wanting to project those emotions back into the past rather than into the future. You just mentioned you and Mallory pouring into each other and I'm glad you did because one of my challenges in relationship is avoiding the status quo, right? Like life is so crazy and it's so busy and we have so many things to get through and the renovation and the baby and businesses and you know investment properties. And I, for myself, have found a lot of seasons where we're just like doing life together, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and we love each other and we care about each other. And I see that in a lot of other couples too, where we're just kind of living parallel lives, but we're not enriching each other's lives. And I see in you and Mallory, just a, a real commitment to not being average in your relationship, not being average in your communication, not being average in your support of each other. Tell me a little bit about what pouring into each other looks like for you. Yeah. So she is amazing. Like the absolute best. Um, And she poured into me for so long. Like she literally drove me to my fifth treatment center and bought me a carton of cigarettes like drove me there because I didn't have a license or a car or any of that kind of stuff. So she, and she was, her dad is an entrepreneur. So she knew um, like what she wanted out of life and she kind of knew, but we were kids. She was 18 years old and um, I was 20, I believe. Yeah. 20. And so just being 
somebody. And, and this was all stuff that this wasn't planned out. This wasn't like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what our life is going to look like. It was just a subconscious type of thing where she always, 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 always poured into me and allowed me even later on in marriage, we got married and I've always been the, the breadwinner of our, of our household and of who we are. So she's always poured into me. And then she's been doing, she, for the last however many years she had been doing network marketing and I was like always blowing it off and I'm like, well, that's just fun. And then she did her Zumba and then, and then I started really seeing how talented she was in a lot of areas and she's amazing at inspiring people and doing things and we all suffer from this imposter syndrome. So besides our subconscious mind, the person that usually knows us the best is whoever we live with or cohabitate with. Mm -hmm. So there's nobody else in the world that's going to know us better. So we started when I started on this journey of personal development, I started about five to six years before she did. And then, then she started to slowly creep into it because she saw me continuing to change. So it's, it's being able to show up for each other and, and love each other no matter what they show up as. Like when, when, when I fail, we don't look at it as a failure. We'll look at it as like, let's go celebrate. Like if something goes wrong or like beginning of last year, um, I, I restructured my entire business. Um, and I, we were in Las Vegas at a convention and, um, I got a knock on the door and it was the feds, the federal, um, uh, labor department or something. Um, and, and, and they came to my office and they investigated and did all this thing for almost a year. And, um, it, it was huge. It was a huge fine. It was all kinds of stuff. Um, we could have got out of it. It was, it was an old disgruntled employee. It was, it was, it was a joke, um, got brought on. And I just said, I looked at her and I said, how are we going to make this serve us? So yeah. what we did is we went and bought our dream home at the same time. Like literally, like instead of like backing down and repelling, I'm like, we looked at each other. I'm like, we're stronger than this. Like, this is nothing. This is, this is just a little road bump. And it was multiple six figures. I mean, it was, it was a lot, right? And I'm like, what do we do? Let's double down with this and let's go make this look like it's small. And it's, and it's looking at each other and saying, I don't know if I can do this. And then, and then she says, yes, you can. Mm. And then I'll look at her and I'm like, you sure you can do that? And she'll be like, watch me. Mm. And I'm like, and then, and then we just go back to those mantras and we go back into it. And then we have those down days where it's like, Hey, like, like I had one earlier this week where I was like, um, not feel like I'm enough. Don't feel like, and, and then, and then now we just say, we just support each other. And we're like, well, are you going to accept that? And you're going to turn that into a mood? Cause that was just an event that you attached right. an emotion to. So how, how long are you going to let this and, and I'm usually able to snap out of it quick where she'll let it linger for a little bit longer. I said, okay, go through the process. And then yep. now it's just the hindsight window. Let's shorten that as fast as we can. Hmm. You just, you, you, you in there gave us a really powerful tool. You certainly gave me a powerful tool, which is how can I make this small? Because what you said, I can so relate to that when something big and hard happens, it's the biggest, hardest thing in our lives. And it takes over and we, we infuse it with all of this meaning and all of this emotion. But we also have the opportunity to say, well, what can we do together to make this small? You know, what move can we make to make this small? And so thank you, because that is going to be a, a question that I add to my toolbox um, for when life offers all of these challenges. I'm just, I'm so grateful for that one. That's a powerful one, Jeremiah. Thank and I'm you. excited too, to have Mallory on the show um, because she, from, from what I know of her, she is such a wonderful demonstration of the balance between discipline and contentment, you know, and, and it just, it's such a beautiful thing. And I'm excited to talk to her, but 
Thank you, Jeremiah, for being willing to share so much of yourself. And guys, Jeremiah and Mallory have an amazing podcast. It is called Destined to Be. You want to tune into it. I will link to it in the show notes. Jeremiah, thank you so much for being here. You're amazing. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform.